Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing what the apostle teaches regarding when someone is caught in sin. If you weren't here with us last week, the apostle said, if anyone is trapped in sin, you who see spiritually, you who see the difference between the flesh and the spirit, you who are spiritual, you go to them to restore them with the spirit of gentleness. And we saw how restoration from being trapped in sin actually works. It comes by a brother or sister coming to you if you're trapped, or me if I'm trapped in some sort of sin, and reminding us of who we actually are, that we've been purified from this stuff, that this is not who we are any longer, et cetera, so forth. I'm not going to re-preach the whole sermon. But if there's any questions, any thoughts, any, you know, I was thinking about that over the course of the week, and what about if? I just wanted to open the floor before we jumped into this last section of Galatians and just give opportunity maybe to have a question that didn't get answered in your community group this week or something. Any thoughts, any additions, any questions? I know you didn't come prepared for this, but I just thought I'd do this real quick before we jump in. Not. Oh, hey. Well, you guys must have had an awesome teacher last week. Um, just kidding. Well, <clears throat> well, again, we are wrapping up Galatians. I apologize for my, for my voice. Hopefully it doesn't get worse. Um, but all of Galatians has been this constant reminder to the saints, to the believers in Galatia, and believers here today, you and me, that we have been set free, set free from this religious trap of rules and regulations and laws as far as it's pertaining to God. And, and, and I know I've emphasized this a lot here lately, and I want to do it again, but we've been set free from, our, from laws and rules and regulations in relation to, to God. Now, if you go 75 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour speed zone and blues start flashing and guns get drawn, however that works, you know, going that fast in that, in that speed limit, are you able to say to the officer, oh, well, officer, don't you know that I've been set free from Christ? Come on. Those are man's rules to govern man's economy down here on planet Earth. God does not reside at the bench at Albemarle County Court of Appeals or whatever it's called, courthouse. God resides in a whole other courtroom called heaven. And in his courtroom, in his courtroom alone, do you stand blameless. But you don't understand, I did this, I did that. But you don't understand, you are now blameless because of what Jesus has done. My sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. So, don't misunderstand that because we've been set free from law, it doesn't mean that in this world we are free to commit sin and not be punished by this world. But the scandal of grace is truly this. You will never 
be punished, be held accountable for any of your sins by God if you trust in Jesus. That's the scandal of grace. Scandalous. Well, surely this person, surely that preacher who did that, you know, surely that. No. It is either free, freedom, or it is either death, the condemnation. It is either life or death. So I just want to make sure that we're clear on that. That your, your defense to the, you know, Commonwealth attorney is not, hey, look at Galatians 5.1, I've been set free. They're going to slap your handcuffs on extra hard if you do something like that. Um, <clears throat> so the whole thing of Galatians has been we've been set free from rules, from law, and pertaining to our relationship with God. But in Paul's final section here in chapter 6, he says, but there is one rule. There is one rule. And it's, it's so funny to me when I read this because he has so adamantly all five chapters thus far saying we are free from law, free from law, free from law, free from rules. And he concludes with, well, there is this one. In fact, this is how he says it in, in verse 18. He says, and those who walk by this rule, grace and mercy, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So he says there is a rule that God has for us. And if you're like me, you're thinking, well, wait a minute, what is that? Because he has been saying so much all Galatians long that there are no rules, we're free from rule. But now there is a rule. Well, let's take a look at that as we wrap this up. Before we jump into this, I want to take a, a trip down memory lane uh, real quick uh, into the Old Testament. Remember back with me, and if this is unfamiliar with you, you can read about it in the book of Exodus, but the, the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt for 400 and some odd years, and eventually God provided Moses, who, you know, you've seen the movie, Let My People Go, and they lead them out, of, or sung the song, right? They lead them out of it, it, Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, through the Red Sea, and they get to Sinai, and they start going through the desert for 40 years. But while they're, after they've been set free, before they go and, 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 and spy out the land, um, some of the Israelites, they start recounting some of the glory days back in slavery. And in fact, um, is this a verse? It's on here? No, no. So they're, they're recounting the glory days back in slavery. And while they're um, complaining, one of the things that they're complaining about is, when we were in Egypt, at least we had food to eat. And we're out here in the desert, in the wilderness, and there's just sand, there's rocks. There's not even enough food for this huge group of people to eat. And they had become so accustomed to just living under the slavery of their taskmasters back in Egypt that it was very difficult for them to live by faith out in the wilderness. Remember with me, what was it that was at the center of the camp of Israel? Anybody? The tabernacle. And what was above the tabernacle during the day? A, a cloud representing the presence of God. And what was above, what did that cloud become at night? That's right, Alden. A pillar of fire. It was fire by night, so you could see it in cloud by day. You could see that during the day. And here's what happened. When the cloud would go this direction, the people packed up and they followed the cloud. When the cloud didn't go anywhere, they just sat there and just waited. 
I want us to get this picture. In the center of the entire camp of Israel is a tabernacle where the presence of God was. And all surrounding was some archaeologists say millions of Jews surrounding them. And in the center of it all was the very presence of Christ. And the Israelites, they had become so accustomed to being told what to do by someone outside of them, the the taskmasters, the slave masters in Egypt, that they struggled. They really struggled with now, instead of just hearing what to do and go and doing it, they struggled with looking inward and just simply following the leading of God's presence. We, We follow? We're on the same page? And so a day came when they were like, you know, we should go back to Egypt because in Egypt, at least we had fish, at least we had food. And so God began to provide what we call manna. Manna is a Hebrew word, and it's actually right here in uh, Exodus um, 16. When the sons of Israel saw it, it being manna, they said to one another, what is it? What is this stuff? Because they didn't know what it was. That's what you say when you don't know what something is. What is it? Bible is very deep. And Moses said to them, it is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. I want us to get this picture here. All of a sudden, God begins to provide from within the camp their very sustenance, what they need. And they don't even know what it is. They don't know where it came from. They don't know. They've never seen it before. And the Hebrew word for what is it? guess what it is? Manna. The Hebrew word for what is it is manna. So every morning they would get up and they go out and they say, hey, honey, I'm going to go collect what is it? Every morning. And there it is out in front of them. What is it? I don't know. What is it? What is it? I'm going to go get some what is it? The Hebrew word for manna is what is it? They didn't know where it came from. They didn't know how it got there. It was just there. You see this? We all together, all of a the sudden, they begin over a process of no longer looking to the slave masters for their sustenance, for their direction. They begin over a lifetime actually looking now within for direction and guidance and provision. Well, when I read them going back and forth and saying, ah, we should go back to Egypt. I want to like scream through, my, through the pages of my Bible, just scream at them and say, don't you realize what you've got? Don't you see that in the center of your camp is the very presence of God? Why in the world are you wanting to go back into slavery? You've got God in your presence. But they didn't see it. They didn't get it. They thought that the accommodations of slavery, being told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, with whom to do it, was more fulfilling than just looking inward and seeing some pillar of smoke and just trying to follow what it does. Do you think it's possible for us today to be so unfamiliar with what it means, what it looks like to now look inward to where the very presence of Christ now lives, that we end up finding ourselves resorting back to some sort of man-made religion that tells us what to do, when to do it, how to do it, 
and how often to do it. We become so accustomed with that, with lists, with rules, with regulations, that it's so hard for us to clear our minds of that and actually see within, within the camp, within our own being, the fullness of God now dwells. Does this make sense? Is anybody following this? So just as I want to scream at the Israelites and say, don't you see what's in you? (laughs) I think the Apostle Paul is writing a letter that we call Galatians and saying, don't you see what's in you? And we 2,000 years later are so accustomed with the rules, the law, the things to do. How many chapters am I supposed to read today? Because I get the Bible in a whole year. I mean, that's what my preacher said to do. That we cannot live. We don't know what it means, what it actually lit to live by the life of someone else in us. Listen, freedom is not easy when we've lived enslaved for the majority of our lives. Those Israelites, they were familiar with their master telling them what to do. They were not acquainted with the presence of God. And I think we find ourselves so often in the same exact predicament. We don't have a cloud, a pillar of fire. We have something so much better. We have actually the fullness of Christ. Christ in you, your hope of glory. And so we're going to wrap up Galatians here with this idea in mind of what in the world is actually in you. Look at verse uh, 6. And and, and remember, we're building up to this, this verse, verse 16, that says... There is a rule. There is a rule that we are to live by. So verse 6 says, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with him who teaches him. And this is where a lot of your TV preachers and stuff will get on this big old thing of, see, you need to send me money. You've seen those guys, right? Well, look, what is the word? What is the word? This goes back to the message, Jim, that you shared back in uh, January, I think it was. You should go to the podcast if if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about. The word is so much more than just letters written on a page. John, the apostle, says that the word became what? Flesh. And tabernacled, dwelt among us. So the word is Jesus. It's Jesus. Apparently, there was a shortage of true Jesus teachers in Galatia. And so Paul is saying, look, guys, if you come across somebody who's teaching the true message, not these foolish Judaizers, but if you come across someone who's teaching the true message, encourage him, support him, bring something to his table so that he can continue on or she can continue on teaching this amazing, glorious news of what Jesus has actually done. You know, it's one of the best things about life journey. Even as small as we are in relative, you know, relative size to, you know, huge churches, I can always bank on, on, on whether it's through financial giving or whether it's through just an email, a phone call, a text. Every week, one of you, somebody, is, get, is, is reaching out to encourage me. And I appreciate that. And if you know others outside of our church who is proclaiming this message of Jesus plus nothing, encourage them. Because I'm telling you, it gets lonely sometimes when people that you invest in for so much end up saying, you know, I get what you're saying, but I just need more than just Jesus. It's hard. And so if you have 
that opportunity, encourage somebody who's teaching. Maybe it's your community group leader. Maybe it's, you know, I don't know, just whomever it is, encourage them. Say, thank you. Even if you don't see fully what he's saying or she's saying, encourage them. Um, Verse 7, it says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that is what he reaps. Now, what in the world is Paul getting into? I mean, has he like got his notes of, you know, his Jesus notes that they get mixed up with his FFA notes, and now all of a sudden he's like talking about, you know, planting and sowing and reaping and harvest time. What is this all about? Well, let's look at the very next verse. Four, verse eight, the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And I have to admit, at first reading this with just no context whatsoever, this can be a very scary verse. We think, oh my goodness, what if I, you know, get entangled with some sort of sin? What if I do something? What, what, if, what if I, you know, chase after the flesh and out comes from the flesh all sorts of sinning? What, what if that happens? Well, look, I, we could take heart because it is, it is certainly true that if we as Christians, if we chase after the flesh and, and sin comes forth, it will bring destruction. I mean, that, no one's going to argue with that. If, if a husband, you know, cheats on his wife, with another, it will ruin that marriage. No, no arguments. But, but I think what Paul is talking about is something totally different. It's in the context of the last three weeks that we've been talking about. There is flesh. We were once in it. It was once us. And then there is spirit. We were in the flesh, but now we are what? In the spirit. And what Paul is saying is in a very generalized sense, look, there's only one thing that's going to come from flesh. No matter how hard you try to improve it, no matter how hard you try to discipline it, no matter how hard you try to control it, there's only one thing that's going to come from flesh. Corruption. But, the one who sees that we are more than just flesh, well, the one who sees that it's not just about adopting a bunch of rules in order to modify our behavior and manage our sin, the one who sees beyond that and sees that there's something truly at, at the heart level that needs to be fixed, that person reaps eternal life. I want to take just two minutes so that, that we don't have. I apologize. You can leave early if you need to. I take two minutes uh, to just talk about eternal life for a second. What is this? eternal life that we reap. Whose life is this? Is this your new life in Christ? Some would say, well, yes, of course it is. Well, wait a second. Your new life in Christ had a beginning, didn't it? Every single one of us who became a Christian, me in 1993, whatever year it was for you, maybe you haven't become a Christian yet. Maybe today's when you start believing in Jesus, and today could be your birthday. How fabulous is that? But each one of us had a start time in our walk with Christ, in our new life with Christ. So our new life in Christ is not eternal, it's everlasting. Because we had a start time. Eternal means that it has a forever future, but eternal means that it has a forever what? Past. So what he's saying is that when we see what the reality of the Spirit, and we tr- place our trust in Christ, we're not just simply given an, etern- uh, an everlasting life, that's fantastic enough, but we actually harvest, we actually reap an eternal life. So again, whose life is that? It certainly isn't our life from Adam because that life was finite. It began for me in 1980 when I was born uh, or when I was conceived, I guess in 79. Um, But then 
I was, it, it ended. My life in Adam ended in 1993 when I trusted Christ. So it's definitely not that life. And, and my new life in Christ, it had to start time, and it'll never end. But there's another life, an everlasting life, an eternal life, sorry. That's the very life of Christ. This is so cool. It reminds me of Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. It says, for when Christ, who is your life, shall appear, you will appear with him in glory. How cool is that? That Christ, he's not just our present, he's not just our future, that's enough, but he's also our past. So you and I, we beat ourselves up about the stupid things we've done in our past. Anybody not done that before? I mean, we've all beat ourselves up over it. But what the gospel is, is that Jesus Christ is not just your present, he's not just your future, but he's also your past. And so all the stupid things that we've done have been erased, eliminated. Saints, if we could just believe, if we could just come to terms with the truth that we have been so purified of all of our sins, our life would change. See, we're still asking questions about did the cross even work? How in the world are we going to come to to reality and, and, and enjoyment of what it means for Christ to live in us if we're still over here worrying about whether or not we're even forgiven or not? Ephesians 5 says that you now are blameless without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing because you have reaped an eternal life. Christ himself, who is now your life. Verse 9, let us not grow weary in doing good. Verse 9, you got it back there? Is that on the screen? Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary. See, again, that kind of sounds scary at first. It's like, well, what if I get tired? You know, what if I let go? What if I, you know, mess up? What if I, what if I, what if I? But again, What's the context? You see, entire denominations have come out of this verse. I won't list them. That's not proper. But entire denominations have come out of this verse and say, if you grow weary, if you give up, if you, then you're going to lose your eternal life. But what's the context of what Paul is saying? Maybe you've been a part of such a a group uh, that that says you can lose your salvation if you, you know, mess up too many times. Well, what's the context? He's not talking at all about salvation or about, you know, losing our salvation. He's talking about the fact that Christ's very eternal life is now our life. And as we keep our eyes focused on what doing good, on keep our eyes focused on Christ who now lives in us, if we don't get distracted by laws, rules, regulations, as we keep our eyes focused on Christ, we will actually see the harvest of Christ's very life in us, living through us. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want at our core for the very life of Christ that's in us to shine through us? And Paul is saying, look, if we don't grow weary, if we don't get distracted, if we don't follow all these Johnny-come-latelys who say, yeah, it's Jesus plus this and plus that, then we will actually see what we want to see, Christ living through us. It's difficult to live by faith, isn't it? It's very easy for us to resort back to living by just some sort of list of rules and expectations, thinking that that's going to make God happy with us. That's the Israelites. They were so accustomed to going to the taskmaster and say, what do I do today? And they just tell them what to do. They were so 
accustomed to that that it was so hard for them to now look within and see the presence of God directing them. And the same is true of us. It's so easy for us to just go back to some sort of list. What do I need to do for Jesus today? Instead of realizing, coming to terms that he actually lives in us. It's hard for us to live by that proverbial cloud and pillar of fire within. Because it's so different. But as our minds are renewed to the truth, watch out. Because Christ starts living through us. Verse 10, so then, while we have opportunity, let us. And I, and I put that in red, Jeff, because we talk about that in our community group a lot. You saw these, let us. It's all this encouragement. While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to the household of faith. What I hear Paul saying is, look, there's, while, make hay while the sun is shining. Is that the right statement? Make, I get my idioms confused sometimes. Make, make hay while the sun is shining. Um, what he's saying is you have opportunity right now all around you for Christ who's in you to live through you. You know, I, I met so many people in seminary who spent their entire uh, educational life just trying to study, study, and study, and study, get all these degrees, and they were never engaged in any sort of relational ministry. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you waiting for? You've got all these churches, you've got all these people all around you here in Lynchburg where I went to school. It's like, why not get involved? Well, I'm just waiting for my opportunity. It's like, open your eyes. There's opportunities everywhere. So a lot of times we can go through life and think, well, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to, who am I supposed to love on? Who am I supposed to, who am I? And I think what Paul is saying, look, just open your eyes. There's hurting people all around, especially within the household of faith. Meaning if, if your neighbor doesn't want anything to do with you because you just want to love on them and encourage them and, and try to lead them to Jesus, if, if they reject you, look, I guarantee there's people in this room right now who could, in, who could endure some encouragement. You see that? So let us, while we have opportunity. Verse 11, see with what large letters I'm writing this. I love this because it's like, this is important. Whatever he's about to say, it's important. They didn't have like bold cap, you know, uh, texting, you know. This is, see how important what I'm about to say is. Look at the very next verse. Verse 12. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh. Now he's talking about those who are sowing to the flesh here. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh to try to compel you to be circumcised. They simply are doing this so they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Verse 13, for those who are circumcised, they don't even keep the law themselves. But they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast, this is kind of gross, in your flesh. I don't want you to picture that, but that's kind of that's what he's saying, okay? You know, I think of like, you know, old movies, and whether they're true or not, I don't know. But old movies of, you know, Indian, cowboys and Indians, and the Indians would scalp, you know, a cowboy, and he'd hold up the scalp and say, look what I did. And he's got so much pride in the fact that he scalped a, a cowboy. And I just hear that's what Paul is saying. These guys, they're not interested in the reality of your life in Christ. They just want to hold up that scalp and say, look what I did. I got people to convert to our group of Judaism. He's talking about the, the Judaizers here. These Judaizers who have come to Galatia to distract the Gentiles from Christ alone to another gospel. Remember, Paul called it a perverted gospel, a gospel of Jesus plus 
rules and laws. And the great hypocrisy of it all is that they, the Judaizers, they don't even keep the law that they're trying to get the, 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 these Christians to keep. And, you know, up until about four years ago, I can honestly say that I would preach things to tell other people to do things that I myself never did. I used to say things like, every single day, the Scripture says that you need to confess your sins so that God will forgive you of all your sins. List them one by one. I never did that. I tried, but I never did that. And that's what he's saying. These guys are hypocrites. They don't even live by the law they're trying to get you to live by. The whole point is proven in the fact that they can't even do it. No one can. No one can keep this law. There are 613 rules. They were impossible to fulfill. In fact, that's the whole reason that Jesus came, because no one who was born of Adam could fulfill the standard of God. And so what God did is he, put, he came and put flesh on himself and became a man, the last Adam, and he perfectly fulfilled every single last requirement of the law, and so that all of us who believe in Jesus are now handed his record of perfection. Because he loves us. He desires to live in us. Verse 14, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of Christ, through which, this is so big, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I wish I could communicate just an ounce of what this is saying. Paul is seeing something that we struggle so hard to see. Paul sees his entire life his entire connection, his entire orientation with this world, he sees his life has ended. Go back with me mentally, and if you want to flip there, you can, to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. For I have been, what? Crucified with Christ. You see that? I mean, that's a verse we've got on bumper stickers, maybe if it's on your coffee mug this morning. But do we... Can we take a second and just really process what that really means? Paul is seeing something that, honestly, we struggle with seeing. Paul saw that his entire origin, his entire identity, his entire life that came from Adam has ended. His ties to everything that remains in this world has been severed. The world has died to him and he to the world. I think of, what is it? The Godfather is like, you know, you're dead to me. You know, something like that, you know? That was a terrible impersonation. So that means no praise of men nor any condemnation from man. It ma mattered to Paul. That's why Paul could withstand these beatings and these whippings and them throwing stones at him because he sees, look, I've been crucified. I've died to this. This isn't where I get my value. If somebody leaves the service today and says, man, that went just a little bit too long, I'm like, oh, because I'm not, I'm not gaining. I'm not, I'm not anchored in my contentment with Christ and Christ alone. I still have too much of a people pleaser in me. But Paul saw that all that was dead to him, and he was dead to it so that he could actually live now to God. Philippians 4, wow. Philippians 4, Paul says, you know, it doesn't matter if I've got a tummy full of food. You tell him a parent of a teenager, of, of toddlers. Or if my tummy is empty. It doesn't matter if I'm sheltered or homeless. It doesn't matter if I am naked because people stole my clothes or if I am well-dressed. I have learned that the secret to it all is contentment in Christ. How can he do that? Verse 13, which has been taken out of context so much. 
For I can do all this through Christ who what? Strengthens me. Christ strengthens us so that we can live in contentment with him. Not so that we can win a football game. I mean, I'm sure God's all about, you know, football. But I'm just saying, it's about Christ. It's about Christ. Paul saw something that so few of us see. Paul truly saw the fact that his spirit has been cut away from his flesh and that his spirit from Adam was crucified with Christ. You know, when we come to Christ, Christ kills us. And it's a good thing because our old man is incompatible with God. And so our old man is cut out and crucified so that a whole new man now born from God's own loins, a whole new spirit is now born of us, born from us, born to us with no ties, no union, no relationship whatsoever to the flesh. You know, when we read these letters that Paul writes and it's this stuff that's just out of this world amazing, like who could ever believe that? Paul did. He saw it by faith. And I think the invitation for us is to just, hey, open your eyes and see the truth of what lies just beneath the veil of this world. Verse 15. For, is, for neither is circumcision nor uncircumcision anything. Neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision. Look at this. But a new Creation. Steve, you put this on your Facebook a couple weeks ago, you know, and I said, oh, somebody's reading the head. <laughs> Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. The only thing that is anything is a new creation. What if we could just actually believe this one verse? Law-based living, rule-based regulations is not where it's at. We can try and try and try our hardest to do anything and everything that we think could possibly please God, but we will fail, fail, fail. Achieving the law, circumcision, or not achieving the law, uncircumcision. It doesn't matter. It's not what it's at. It's not where it's at. The only thing that is of value is the new creation. Remember, the Judaizers, they had shown up to Galatia trying to convince these Galatians that they needed to to live by these Ten Commandments and these 603 other commandments of Moses in order to really be approved before God, in order to really live a godly life. They had to put these lists of things to do together so that they can now live a godly life. And Paul is saying, that the only way to produce true godliness through our bodies is a new creation. So what is a new creation? Well, that's a good time to kind of really make sure we understand what that is. What is the new creation? Well, very briefly, it is your new human heart, your new human spirit, you, you now new because of Jesus, having been fused to the very spirit of Christ. It is your new human spirit fused to the very spirit of Christ. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that we now have this treasure inside of these weak earthen vessels so that the glory is shown to be of God and not of us. Think think about John 17 real quick. Jesus is praying in the garden, and he's praying for this new creation. He's praying for this new reality. He says, Father, he's talking, talking to God the Father. He says, I pray that they, talking about people who would believe, you and me, that they would be one just as we are one. 
And he defines that. He says, you and me and me and you. May we, it's the only time that when he talks about a we like this, may we be in them and they be in us. So the new creation is you in Christ, Christ in you. Law, rules, regulations, whether you're circumcised, whether you're not circumcised, whether you do something on a Saturday, don't do something on a Saturday, come on. That's not where it's at. The only thing that is actually going to produce godly living is a growing revelation of Christ now in you. You know, if this is true, if the new creation is the only thing that matters, that is, if the new creation is the only thing, if a growing revelation of Christ in us and our new human spirit, if that's the only thing that produces godliness, i got a question for us. Why in the world would we talk about anything else? I mean, if this is true, then why would we talk about anything else? Why would we have, you know, a, 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 a sermon of, you know, the, 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 the 10 easy steps to loving your wife easier when there's one step? a growing revelation of Christ in you. Do you see that? Why in the world would we have, you know, the seven keys to overcoming sin in this world when there's one key, a growing revelation of Christ in you? Circumcision, uncircumcision, it doesn't matter. That's not where it's at. You can try your hardest to manage your sins and modify your behavior, but the only thing that matters is the fact that you are now new and you've been fused to the God of this universe as a new creation. You know, is it possible that we've made this Christian life just way too difficult? You know? Is it possible that we've just really complicated this thing and it's really a whole lot easier? Let me ask you. You guys are smart. At least this group. No, I'm just kidding. We already passed the plates, right? Um, who is the only person that's ever lived the Christian life? Jesus. So, so let's think about this. Don't you want the Christian life coming forth from you? Of course you do. I do. Think about this. If Jesus is the only one who's ever lived the Christian life and we want the Christian life living through us, then don't you think it's time for us to get out of the way to stop running to laws, rules, and regulations, to set our mind on Christ who lives in us so that Christ, the only one who's ever lived the Christian life, can actually now live his life through us. Verse 16, and here we are. And the, those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them. Those who walk by this rule, what rule? The rule that rules can't do it. You see that? If you walk by this rule, what rule, Paul? The rule that circumcision or uncircumcision has no value. What you can do in your flesh doesn't matter. This rule that it's only Christ in you that get, brings about godliness through you. If you live by that rule, then grace and mercy and peace be upon you and upon the Israel of God. Wow. So here's a rule from Paul. He's saying, if you really need a rule to live by, I mean, if you are one of those checklist people and you got to have your checklist of the things that I need to do today, here it is. Number one, there's not a number two. Have a growing revelation of Christ in you. Because as he, as your mind is renewed to the truth of what is now in you, who is now in you, he begins to live through you. 
It's powerful. It's powerful. He says the Israel of God, that, you know, if you think of a boxer, the apostle, it, it, this is a straight jab at the Judaizers because the Judaizers said the only way for you to really be in God is for you to become a Jew because only the physical Jew are true Israel. And Paul is saying the same thing he said over in Romans, that it's not about who's your daddy. It's not Abraham or this. That's not what it's about. It's about do you believe God? Do you trust God the same way Abraham trusted God? Israel is not by flesh, but by those who trust him. The last two verses in Galatians. Are you ready for this? Verse 17. From now on, <laughs> let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus. Sounds like Paul is like, can we get past this finally? Can we get beyond this? Are we going to keep like the Israelites of old running back into slavery because that's what you're so accustomed to? Can we get beyond that and see that the very presence of God now lives in you? Can we get beyond this? Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirit, brethren. Amen. His final remark is about grace. To the Judaizers, they would have a final remark of something like, may the law of our forefathers be with you forever always. But the apostle, he understands that grace and law, they don't mix, like oil and water. It is either all law or it is all grace. So let's wrap this up, this whole journey through Galatians. We've got a simple journey marker. If you're newer with us, this is like, how do we put this into a simple little thought so we can kind of digest it during the week? It's this. Here's your rule. The flesh and rules, they can't do it. They cannot do it. It, what's it? They cannot save you. They cannot make you holy. They cannot transform you into the image of Christ. They cannot take you further. Rules in the flesh cannot do it. You, you sow to the flesh, you will reap what? Corruption. But the new creation can. The new creation, you fuse now to Jesus. That will take you everywhere you want to go. If we've learned anything through Galatians, I hope it's this. There are no two pieces to the Christian faith. There's not, okay, we've got the grace part. We've got the, the, the faith part. We've got the, you know, trust Jesus part that gets us in the door. And now once we're in the door, we go over here to the, to the, to the list and the rules and the regulations and the how do I's and what do I's and what about I's. There's no two pieces. There's one. It's called Jesus, full of grace and full of reality. If we confuse this, then we come in by grace. And like the Israelites, we run back to the former slave master of the law to try to learn how to live. If we've learned anything in Galatians, it's this. There are no two ways of Christianity. There is one. Grace, the finished work of Christ, his mercies, his love for you, not only gets you into the door of salvation, but it takes you everywhere you want to go. Because rules, not following rules, circumcision, not circumcised, it doesn't matter. The only thing is of value is Christ. God's union and intimacy with you is not determined by what your flesh looks like. In fact, you really want you to get your, ruffles, your feathers ruffled or your ruffles feathered. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul says that God does not even consider us any longer according to the flesh. We're so worried about the flesh. God doesn't even consider the flesh. He looks at the heart. 
What does, what does the prophet Nathan say? He says, or Samuel say, man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. Wow. Wow. Remember what happened all the way back in the wilderness with the Israelites. God was teaching them, leading them to depend upon him instead of just rote obedience to their slave masters. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, God began providing for their very sustenance. It was strange. It was strange. The only thing they knew what to call it was, what is it? Because they'd never seen it before. They didn't work for it. They didn't create it. They didn't labor over it. God simply provided it. Here's the application, I think. Just as the Israelites were not accustomed towards looking towards the center of the camp for God's direction, for God's leading, we are not accustomed to looking inward to where Christ now lives for guidance and direction. We are so accustomed to just tell me what to do, tell me how to live, okay, and I'll go do it. That's not the Christian life. But as our minds are set on Christ, as our minds are set on the reality of our union with him, as our minds are set on the the death of our old man and the life that we now have, as our minds are set and being renewed to the fact that the very same God who spoke this world into existence in six days, the very same God who shut the mouths of lions, the very same God who raises the dead and heals the sick, that very same God who calls into being that which does not exist, that very same God and his full power now lives in you as our minds are renewed to that truth. Watch out. Watch out. Because all of a sudden, what's going to come forth as our minds are renewed? What is it? What is that? What is it? I don't know. I just hated this guy yesterday, but now as I set my mind on Christ, there's like an affection for this guy. What is it? What is this? My wife told me to split town, and she left with some other dude, and I hate her for it. But now all of a sudden, because I've been setting my mind on Christ and his love for me, I now have forgiveness for her. What is it? It's manna from heaven. It's Christ himself who lives in you, living through you as you set your mind on him. Craig, you guys come on up. We're going to close out this morning with a song that reminds us of the new creation. Listen, we cannot live, we cannot, Christ cannot live out through us if we don't believe that he lives in us, that he's purified us. We can't, Christ can't live out from us if all we're worried with, all we're consumed with is the flesh. Christ can't live out through us if we're just worried about trying to achieve some sort of checklist of Christianity. Did I read my Bible today? Did I memorize some verses? Did I go to church? Did I, did I, did I? Those are great things. I encourage you to do them, but that cannot be the content of your Christianity. Setting our minds on him and him alone is what lives, is how this thing lives out. Do you even believe that you're a new creation? Do you see, do you see yourself as having died and been raised totally new? Do you see that any sinful desire that is still in your mind is actually not from you anymore? It's from your flesh. We saw that three weeks ago. Do you see that God's actually given you his desires? They're now etched in your new heart in this new creation. We can't live this out. We can't live this one rule out by living by rules.
He who lives by this one rule, grace and mercy and peace be to you. This rule that the rules can't do it. Flesh can't make it happen, but Christ in you can. Stand and pray. Father, we thank you for how much you love us. We thank you for this journey through Galatians. And I know tonight, uh, this morning, went a little bit long. I wanted to finish Galatians before we got into the Grace Conference next week. I appreciate the attention and the patience of your saints. I just pray, Father, that we would dig our heels in deep to our freedom that we have in Christ. May we not look to man to tell us how to live. May we not look to expectations in this world, religious or non, to know how to live. That comes so natural. Father, I pray that you would teach us to look within. Not to look within to our old man, because that guy's dead and gone. But to look within where Christ now dwells. To see beyond the veil of this flesh and to see the true life, your life, Christ's life, that's now our life. And watch out, because all of a sudden, our bitterness and our anger will turn into joy and laughter. Manna from heaven. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.